Um, I'm uh, as honored to be here as Deb is excited to have me here. So, um, and that's I guess saying a lot since you're very excited. I really. Because <laughs> she said the, she said it twice, so I have to say that anyone re who repeats themselves actually means it. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been a blessing, and um, it's been neat to see um, God show His strength through my human weakness, in the sense that you know it's 24 hours and five talks, and I haven't fallen down yet. Um, and to just to see Him in 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 these in these talks, I I'm not as structured as I am in a sermon. In a sermon, I want to be very composed and know exactly what I'm going to say, so it's manuscripted out. With these, I like to be a little bit more led by questions from you guys or from just the le leading of the Holy Spirit. And so it's interesting to see how the the words come and the ideas flow and the um, questions are asked and they're answered. And so it's really been encouraging to me as a, as a speaker um, to see the power of the Holy Spirit working through little old me. <laughs> um, so, but yes, I get to talk to you about one of my favorite poems. Um, in the Old Testament, and that is the Proverbs 31 woman. And if you're not familiar with her, it's Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. Um, and often, I have I've come to the conclusion that you either hate her <laughs> or you love her, but there's no middle ground. No one's ever like ambiguous about her. Like, oh well, she's okay. It's either, oh man, she's, oh, how can you do all that stuff? Or it's just, I'm gonna, I want to be her. You know, and it's. So you either love her or you hate her, but there is definitely no middle ground. And I always joke around and say, and that's not, a, I'm not just talking about me. Um, I'm talking about the Proverbs 31 woman because I, I too have the personality that is, you either hate me or you love me, but rarely is someone meh about me. So, um, but so I'm going to just, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start off. The first group was sort of my guinea pig group. So you guys are going to get maybe a little more polished product. Um, but I'm going to start off with reading um, this poem. And um, before I start, let me just tell you a little, about, little bit about Hebrew poetry. Um, Hebrew poetry is like, imagine a slideshow presentation with the click, 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 like picture, break picture, break picture, and not necessarily like a fluid motion picture. So it's choppy. Um, so this isn't like, like every verse isn't necessarily connected to the one before it. Um, and then also, too, with the Proverbs 31 poem, it's an acrostic. And one thing that I've said before in the past is I technically could have written a... Dropouts, right? Yeah. <laughs> We're in the process of dropping out right now. <laughs> um, uh, it's, um, it's an acrostic poem. So that means every verse starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's a bad poem. It's actually not that good. It's if you were to sit down and write a poem about someone and be forced to use every letter of your alphabet, <laughs> oh, yeah. it would be rough. <laughs> it would be, I, I used this example early, earlier. If I wanted to write one about my husband, I would say, awesome is Daniel because he's great. <laughs> cool is his, you know, like you, you kind of have to, you're restricted. So it's not really like a beautiful sonnet or a love poem it's it's choppy it's bad it's just not great it's terse that's one of the words that you you, re, you see when you're reading books about about that when you're reading the exegetical terse poetry 
I like that word terse because it is as it sounds, right? Let's call a poem terse. You're like, hmm, that's probably not pretty. <laughs> so, um, so it's good to keep in mind that these are like almost like bullet points um, in the poem. And so it's sort of just a little bit of the background um, in regards to the structure of it. But I'm going to go ahead and overwhelm you with this woman. Um, and I'm going to read it. And then I'm going to casually just pull things out. So I'm not going to go through verse by verse. You're probably like, <laughs> um, and it might be even out of order, but as the themes come to me, I'm going to talk about them, like the, the big things that I think that we could walk away with um, and feel blessed by and um, praise God for. So, an excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ship of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. How are you guys feeling? I'm tired. <laughs> it's in the throat. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 daunting, like to sit down and say like this is what I'm supposed to be. And all too often, in the church, in a church setting, that's how she's presented. Now go and be her. Do those things, and she becomes a checklist. So replace all those verse numbers with little empty boxes and go through and check them off daily. Like wake up anew. And start all over. Check them off. And that's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And night. Right. Don't sleep, actually. Days just bleed into each other. But that's that's the problem. And so what happens is, is you, you're going to have one or two reactions. You're going to try really hard. And you're going to fail. And you're going to quit. You're going to drop out. You're going to just hate her. Or you're going to um, despair um, because of her. And that's... I don't feel like that's the goal of scripture I don't believe that that's the goal of what you know specifically what Jesus has come to do like not to give us despair but to give us a light yoke right so why do we bring this back in as this heavy heavy yoke heavy burden and is there another way to read her can we see something else in her aside from a checklist that describes what womanhood is supposed to look like and I believe there is I have a word of hope yes there is um 
and we'll we'll hopefully we'll talk about that. If I don't get to the word, if I don't talk about something hopeful, just someone raise their hand and be like, "Hey, can you talk about something hopeful?" <laughs> oh, that's fine. You promise. Uh, you promise something hopeful. Um, okay, so what's interesting about this poem is that is verse ten. It's the very first verse of the poem. An excellent wife who can find. And the way that that's phrased in the original language is it demands a no answer. It demands a negative answer. No one is the response. But yet we all try to be this woman, but yet the question, the very first question is who can find her? And then it goes on to say, she is far more precious than jewels. She's rare. You're not gonna find her. Like she's rare, she's hard to find. Um, so it's important to kind of understand what's going on with that very first question automatically just kind of throws everything into a spin like where is this poem going what is this going to actually say another major major aspect of the poem if you noticed is that she's probably not a young woman she's probably not newly married she definitely is not nursing a baby i take that very seriously right now <laughs> she's not um when it says that um the heart of her husband trusts in her. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. How does he know that? Has it been a month since the vows have been said? No, it's been years. It's been years. And they've been through the valleys and they've been up the peaks and they've had good times and they had bad times. And the summation of the whole experience with her from his point of view is that she has brought him good and not harm, that she's been there. So it's not necessarily about serving as it is the presence and the love that she has given him through all the days of his life thus far. Another aspect too is her children. At the end, you hear let her children rise and call her blessed. <coughs> Amy, has Caroline done that yet? <laughs> but these children know, how do they know? Maybe because they have children of their own, right? Because I remember going into motherhood with my firstborn, I'm gonna be so much better than my mom. <laughs> then I had a child and I called mom, I was like, I am so sorry, you did a great job. <laughs> Thank you for not killing me. <laughs> the perspective changes, many women do noble things but you surpass them all, a husband says, but the children rise up and call her blessed. One, they can rise up and call her blessed. So they're not crawling, right? So they're older and they know. They've seen other women or they have learned their mother and know that she's and called her blessed. Um, uh, also to the, the husband, and I'll come back to this verse, it's one of my favorite verses in the poem, but the husband rises and, and says that, you know, many women do noble things. There's an experience there. He's sitting at the gate. Did you notice that little reference to him? Like he sits at the gate. Young men don't sit at the gate. Older men, wiser men, men who know what's going on, sit at the gate. This couple's older. So immediately it's, well, for me, I mean, I've only been married nine years. And I have young kids. It's like, maybe I can breathe a little bit under this because it's not, this isn't necessarily about like what it's supposed to look like immediately upon marriage. And I don't know, I, Deb and Amy were, we were friends in seminary while I was working on, I wrote a thesis about the Proverbs 31 woman. And while I was writing a thesis about how you couldn't be the Proverbs 31 woman, that she's not a checklist of what you should do, guess what I was doing in the very first few weeks of my marriage? I was getting up at four o'clock in the morning and sleeping and sweeping the stairs and sweeping the floors and getting everything clean and then setting a, a breakfast table. And just I was, I was trying to be her and it was intentional. 
I wanted to be what I was telling everyone else they couldn't be. It's sort of, it's horrible, but it's, it's, a, it's, an, it's a true confession. Like, I was desperately trying to be her. Um, and then, comically, I wound up getting pregnant within, the, within five months of being married. And my husband was like, I'm so glad you're pregnant. And I was like, wow, you really wanted to have kids? This is great. And he's like, no because you finally stopped sweeping at 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> like, he wasn't even being blessed by me trying to be this woman. It was like, he was like, I have to get up, because all I hear is bang, 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 down the stairs. And he's like, oh, good Lord, just go to sleep. Because I would sleep until 8 when I was pregnant with my oldest son. So, and he was like, oh, praise God. Um, <laughs> so, so e just even, like, the my goal to be this woman in making it manifest, like, in my works was actually not bringing, it was bringing harm to my husband. I actually wasn't showing him all that much love. Um, so, but she's, yeah, so it's, she's an older woman and that's so solidified throughout the poem. Um, another image too is that there's a reference to snow. She has no concern about when it's winter. Um, what, and in the North, we're taking it very personally these days. Like, <laughs> I am, yeah, and I'm, I'm starting to take, starting to be a little bit concerned. <laughs> um, but it's it's seasons so there's this mention of a season and so instead of it being like looking at it like in a 24-hour period this is what her day looks like take a step back further this might be what a year looks like or this might even be what a lifetime these are things that she's done in a lifetime again the age and the husband's experience and her experience like everything that's listed there I mean if you every year were to purchase a field and plant a vineyard you would have a lot of vineyards and you would have to hire a lot of people and to crush all those grapes and make the wine and do that. I mean, maybe you'd buy one vineyard, right? Maybe you buy one field and plant the vineyard. So when you step back, it's the time perspective isn't 24 hours. And sometimes she's sold as a 24 hour model. And it's not, this is about the broader view. It's a whole, it's got seasons in there, snow. She's planting, you've got the planting season. You've got the tilling season. You've got, you know, but again, if you bought a, if you bought a field, like every day, that would be you'd be overwhelmed with work. There would be no, none of the other stuff would happen. So it's we have to take the broader view. Um, so and then also too, there's a lot of references in the poem to her being uh, like she's spinning and she's working with flax, and she's got wool going on, and sometimes what will happen, what I read in books, is that'll be used in regards to that now I need to be a seamstress, that I'm sort of a good with sewing, or I'm good with that specific thing that's being mentioned. But when we look at it thematically, really what it's saying is, is that she's really good with the materials on hand that she has. So... I'm not a great seamstress. I have tried hard and I am functional. Like the boy's pants rip, I sew it, so it doesn't look pretty, but you can wear the pants again. Daniel's button falls off, his shirt, it's on, it's not gonna come off for years. I'm that kind of button sewer. Um, and, uh, but I'm not, like I have friends who are really gifted at it and I'm not one of those. If I look at my womanhood through the lens of whether or not I'm a good seamstress, I'm failing. And if I should like it, and I don't like it, again, I, well, I'm, don't really like a lot of things. I like washing dishes. That's one of my favorite things to do, but there's a whole host of things like ironing's one of the bane of my existences. But if I look at it through that lens and, and evaluate myself about my womanhood or my whiffery, 
um, or even my motherhood, then I'm, I'm radically, there's, there's a deep inherent flaw in me that I don't even like sewing. And I admire people who are like really good knitters and enjoy it. Like just, I'm not, I'm just not fired that way. So is it telling me something different? Well, I'm really good at looking out the back porch and seeing my mounds of cardboard that need to be recycled because I just keep throwing it out to the back porch. And um, the boys might need a project. Like they wanted to build robot costumes for Halloween. And I was like, I have cardboard. <laughs> we can do this. Here we go. So it's being, it's just being resourceful. Essentially all that imagery about her doing things with certain things doesn't mean that you have to be like spinning your own wool up in your attic. It's just about using the materials around you. There's a lot of references too to her enjoying like uh, the, the, the mention of her bed, fine linens and purple and um, silks. And she enjoys God's good creation. I think too often that there's sort of a guilt that's placed on enjoying and appreciating beautiful things that we should be um, I don't want to use the word modest because that can be a good thing, but um, chime in if you have the word. But like um, that we asceticism, yeah, that we like, deny ourselves. Yeah, like oh, that's we we sh we shouldn't like in it, it. That's if you enjoy it, then maybe there's something bad to it. Um, if it's too beautiful, like or whatever. But she like enjoys, and she has this healthy relationship, and she can rejoice with God over his creation. Mm -hmm. So the references to purples and beautiful colors and scarlet. Yeah. Like it's like it's okay to like your shoe. Like it, I mean that might be like a more minimal example, but or it's okay to like the engagement ring that you has husband gave you that you admire. Like it's it's admiring. It's a healthy relationship with it and that's what she has. She can look out and say, That's beautiful and I wanna partake in that instead of feeling guilt and shame about it she celebrates it um it's not an idol it doesn't have to be it's just that she has this so she's got this healthy relationship um she's also compared to being a pirate like she collects her booty from afar and like brings it back just in case you weren't paying attention <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's um she is like the ships of the merchant she brings her food from afar like actually the language there is a little bit more rough like in the sense that she's like going after her booty and she's getting it and she likes and this is another example of her enjoying God's creation like she enjoys fine food and brings it back in like different cultures and cuisines so it's really she starts to she should by now in the length of time that I'm talking kind of remind us of another woman who could have been and that's Eve so in my opinion and we'll keep talking about Proverbs 31 woman, but I'll get that word of hope out there right now, is that the Proverbs 31 woman is not a checklist of what we need to fulfill to do to be a good and godly woman. Rather, she is the glimpse of what will come in Christ with woman and God and with woman and man. She's the glimpse of restoration of woman to God. She's Eve restored, functioning the way it was supposed to be. This is what it would have been. And she's pointing, she's a huge arrow pointing to Jesus. That's cool. <laughs> That's what I hope. Yeah. So she should stand out. We should get to her and say, wait a second. Why in the world is this here? Why is this important? It's in, it's in scripture. 
in the um i i think i if you were around me last night i can't remember because faces and so many people um and just exhaustion but um last night i mentioned that uh the our where proverbs 31 ends we then have ecclesiastes or some other wisdom literature but in the hebrew bible what follows proverbs 31 the valorous woman um is ruth and so you have the perfect wife and you have the perfect <coughs> husband and they're back to back and they both point to jesus what will happen in jesus so boaz in ruth is the kinsman redeemer and is the perfect husband like he steps in and does what should have happened and right before that you have this poem about this wonderful perfect wife and essentially too the language carries on so like in the first five books of the old testament um not the first book but the second third fourth and fifth each of those books starts with the word and and that's why they're they're a unit so genesis and then exodus opens up and god and then Leviticus opens up and and it's all connected it's actually one big story but the same thing happens with Proverbs 31 and Ruth in the Masoretic text which is the original Hebrew Bible is that so it there's this discussion about the Eshet Hael which is the valorous woman and Ruth opens up with the exact same language they're a unit they're connected and so essentially you could even possibly make the argument that you know, womanhood and manhood are defined in relationship to each other, not separate, not by our works, but in relationship, turned towards one another. So you have this back to back and it's communicating. Um, but essentially what I believe is that it is a big pointer to what's gonna come in Christ. Now to back that up further is that people do, they hate the poem, they hate it. Um, and when I hear that, I say, I get it. I love it, but let me let me give you a tip. Read it bottom up. Start at the most important verse. The whole poem is like a big funnel into this one statement, which is, let me just get there. Um, I'm sorry, I don't have it memorized. I know you guys all have your Bible memorized. You're not this woman. <laughs> I'm not this woman. I'm free to admit that. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. It's interesting because all the it seems that all there's all this discussion about her works, but then there's this charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Everything everything is dust, but it's her fear of the Lord that brings her praise. And then thirty one, give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. The works come second. The works come second. It is her fear of the Lord first, and that is Old Testament speak for faith. First is faith we are justified by faith apart from works and from that all else flows the works will come we don't need to focus on it to be a woman to be fully woman in christ it's not about the works it's about your faith in him and your relationship with him the works will come luther says that when the first commandment when you are in line with the first commandment all the other ones flow out you don't have to oh yeah, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and body, and strength. Have strength and yeah, so when Jesus says, like, the two great commandments are love the Lord your God and then love your neighbor as yourself, the, essentially the commandments could almost be broken into those two statements. Um, and so Luther says that the first one, which is love the Lord your God, and 
God says this all throughout. I mean, Deuteronomy is like the big book where he says, gives the Shema, which is the Hebrew prayer, like love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, which Jesus references when he says that. Um, when that's in place, the works fall, flow. The rest of it flows because you're oriented towards God, and that happens through faith. <clears throat> through hearing the word preached, through hearing the preached word, which is God revealed to us through Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross, his resurrection and ascension, hearing that word, we are oriented properly to God who is the creator of the universe. And in being oriented towards him, lifted up and seeing him, lifted our, our eyes being lifted up, seeing him in the process, we see our neighbor and the works flow. We see our neighbor as human. We see that our neighbor is also our husband and we love him and we see our children they're our neighbors too and we love them it's that reorienting and so the works flow you don't have to don the 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 works to become the woman because by faith you actually are the proverbs 31 woman because it's all about the fear of the lord and interestingly is that proverbs opens up it's actually a really well-constructed book, and that's what I love about going to seminary and learning these things, because I didn't realize that, you know, the four of the Old Testament books at the beginning all opened up with and. But Proverbs 1-7 is, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And Proverbs 31-30 is, fear of the Lord is to be praised. It's a cohesive unit. draws it all back together. It's all about the fear of the Lord. And Jesus comes... And he is the word incarnate and he comes and he circumcises the foreskin of our hearts. What God promises in Deuteronomy 19, 4, I don't know, but there was a statement, therefore go and circumcise the foreskin of your heart. And then in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, he says, and I will do it. They're sort of conflicting verses, but one is go and do it, and then we can't do it, and then he says, I will do it. What does that mean? Oh, um... How many of us have boys? <laughs> Circumc we circumcised our boys, but it's it's a reference to the the circumcision of the of, of the man um, that would happen to our hearts, so that the 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 heart would be no longer hard but um, fleshy. So it's sort of like a the imagery would be, and I don't, I haven't done a word study on no, that specific uh, yeah. phrase, but it's sort of imagining like that he's gonna. Op, like operate on our hearts that it's going to be this it's the same as in Jeremiah when he promises in the new covenant that he would give his people hearts of flesh yes, instead yeah, it's, of hearts of stone and yes. that's one of those examples very often flesh in scripture is negative yes. so that's the example where flesh is seen in a yes. positive light that um, rather than being stony and sinful and rebellious yes. there's that fleshly softness yes. and obedience yes. and so, willing, right. willing spirit so that's um, that's essentially. I, I almost forgot where I was going with that. I'm sorry. No, that was really good. Circumcising um, <laughs> the foreskin of our hearts. Yes, and so yeah. God, and so He, so Jesus does that through the Word, like been in His presence, in His death. And when we hear that, our hearts are made into flesh and um, un uncalcified. So it's we can, I can get all of that from this because I understand what Jesus has done. Um, I have a little bit lost my place, but I'm fine with that. I'm totally fine with that. I'm going to 
<laughs> it's like this is my fourth talk. I'm just like, hey, whatever goes. Um, as long as you, as long as yeah, as long as you hear Jesus, then I've done my job. <laughs> if you leave here excited about what Jesus has done on your behalf, and if you're married or dating or whatever, like that, you love your husband more than that's that's all I'm going for <laughs> more love um, so here's an interesting another thing that I find really interesting is um, is that in so I've talked about how that she's sort of this glimpse of this restored Eve um, now in verse 29 it says that the, the oh, verse 28 her children rise up and call her blessed again that's an image that she has these older children that actually know that she's awesome um, and then it says her husband also, and he praises her. Now, interestingly, in the poem, if part of womanhood, if it's so important that women be married or have kids, um, what's interesting about her is that her husband plays a very back background role. He's not foreground, it's her. She's up front, and he is. she's not necessarily defined by his presence very much. And in fact, frequently when he is referenced, she's defined him. So he is known at the gates by her and like she brings him praise. And so he plays a very back role and so do the children. Like it's not like, so even as like an unmarried woman, like you can look at her and see that this is a word of hope as well because it's sort of, it's pointing backwards, but or forwards um, and backwards to Eve. Um, so he plays a background, but when he does speak, he says, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. And what's striking about those words is to me, they're very reminiscent of when Adam sees Eve for the first time. And he says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And you could almost jump straight to, and you surpass them all. Because at that moment when Eve is created and brought to Adam, he has gone through not just the deep sleep and the removal of a rib, but the whole parade of animals and their mates and he has and god has exacerbated his loneliness because god says in genesis 2 18 it is not good that man should be alone and then he brings so there's loneliness and then all the animals combine and then adam adam's loneliness is heightened and then there is no partner found him found for him among those so he goes to a deep sleep and brings woman and there's this exclamation and Karl Barth, a theologian from the 50s and 60s, um, said that everything in the creation narrative is aiming towards that exclamation of the man, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, because she has come to him and she has alleviated that problem. She has, essentially, when God says, I'm going to create a help me, it's that whole word that's used of God himself in the book of Exodus and in the Psalms about God being the helper. It has salvific it has savior connotations to it. It has, um, I actually have that outline with me. Um, let me just, real quick. See, I come very prepared. <laughs> um, okay, so the themes of protecting, supporting, shielding, sustaining, delivering, comforting, giving hope, and blessing are ever present in that word. That's woman. 